What is going on, fellow filmmakers and creatives? Welcome to another episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. But before we kick it off, I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Brendan Sweeney, Filmmakers Academy member and host of Finding the Frame. And I just want to talk to you about the annual spring sale that we are currently running over at our platform. Are you ready to elevate your craft to new heights? Dive into a community where inspiration meets guidance, where camaraderie fuels creativity? Well, picture this. We have monthly virtual group coaching sessions, network events that spark collaborations, and fresh educational content lighting up your screen monthly. That's what awaits you as an annual all-access member. And guess what? Your journey starts now with an exclusive offer. Snag $150 off your first year when you use promo code ARMCAR150 at checkout. It's our way of saying welcome to the family. So why wait? Join us today and unlock the ultimate resource hub for cinematographers, film crews, and do-it-all filmmakers everywhere. And did I let you know that we just dropped our recent masterclass? Filmotechnic Camera Car Masterclass, where Shane Hurlbut ASC and his camera crew of working professionals go inside the arm car, break down what it's like to be a cinematographer, getting that confidence to be able to utilize this specialty tool to get the shot. We hope to see you in the family. We want to see you on the platform. Let's join the community. Arm Car 150. Check the show notes for the link and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, this is Brendan Sweeney here with another amazing episode. This time we have producer, director, and entrepreneur Edgar Estevez here. You might know him from some of your favorite music videos. He's worked with all of the top artists, and he's here today to talk about what he's doing right, what's going on in the industry, and all of the amazing projects that he's got cooking. This is Brendan Sweeney here with Finding the Frame. We're back for another amazing episode. This one's actually really special because we have director, producer, and entrepreneur Edgar Estevez coming here with so much knowledge, so much energy. How's it going? Everything's good. Thanks for that Sway's Universe intro. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you don't know who he is, you definitely got to get on his level. You can find him on Instagram. He's done a lot of projects with a lot of amazing artists, Nicki Minaj, Lil Wayne, Corday, Neo, so many amazing people that have influenced pop culture. And Edgar is the captain of Amazing Ship over at Blank Square Productions. Go check out their website. But yeah, what's been going on with you? What's new these days? Life's good. Um, took be took me about like fifty minutes to get here, so yeah. I, I I got to call my parents. Um, my mom's actually having surgery today, so I called her to make sure she's good. Um, my dad's all good; he's ready to retire. Um, he's a barber, <laughs> but other than that, you know, just having fun. We have a commercial today, so after this, I got to go to Company Three, color a video, and then go to the production. So. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you know, it's a busy lifestyle. You're one of the tops doing it in your industry. Yeah, thank you. I would love to just, you know, paint the picture of what your life has been like. I love doing research, especially for all my guests, but you have a really interesting one, especially growing up in Venezuela. And eventually you came mm -hmm. to the United States due to some particular reasons. I'd love to know how you got started and what your youth was like, and then how you ended up getting to where you are today. But let's start out Venezuela, what that was like. Okay. So my mom was working at a car dealership. My dad met her. Thanks. They started dating. And then they, I'm like, um, long story long, we ended up uh, like only living in Venezuela for a year when I was born. So basically at 11 months, I hit my head on a metal frame that basically um, caused internal bleeding in my head. My aunt at three in the morning found me and then was like, yo, 
you're dying. And I was, and my mom's like, I'm freaking out. So basically they went to this public hospital. They took me there and they were like, okay, this kid's having an allergic reaction. And my mom's like, I think he hit his head earlier, but I'm not sure. So they took me to a private clinic. They did some CAT scans on my head and then they realized I'm having internal bleeding. That means mm-hmm. like the brain is pushing, uh, the blood is pushing my brain to the left side of my my head and then basically causing like me, my, my organs to shut down. And that's eventually gonna lead to my death. They did operation on me. They, they sucked all the blood out of my head. And next thing you know, three months later, after being in a coma for three months, I was able to wake up and, you know, like be okay. I was on life support, but that basically left my parents bankrupt. And then that's why they migrated to America because at the time the American dream was being sold and marketed Mm -hmm. to like other countries. And they were like, let's do it. So we stayed for six months and we overstayed our tourist visa and we stayed in Houston and cause my dad had a friend there. And next thing you know, the rest was history. Stayed in Houston about a year. And then from there we went to Florida and that's where I was raised for my whole life. Wow, that's really incredible. Yeah. And I read that you were an undocumented immigrant for quite some time. And that's something yeah. that you had to navigate. I'd love to talk about that period in your life. And specifically, that had to have given you a really interesting perspective, one to the American dream, but also mm-hmm. that you that you're utilizing continually for the creative aspects. I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be undocumented, man. Um, you know, like when I was a year old, I didn't, you know, I, could, I didn't really have the say of being like, oh, are we going to come to America or not? But I'm glad we did, and I'm glad everything happened the way it did. But uh, long story longer, I just, you know, just, you know, like 15 years old, when people are getting their permits, I was like, I can't drive. Mm-hmm. 16, everyone's getting their license. I couldn't drive. When everyone was like, oh, I'm going to be a bag boy at a local grocery market, I couldn't get a job. When high school, I graduated when I was 17, and I had full-ride scholarships to everywhere. I couldn't accept those scholarships. So I just felt like a lot of rejection early, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of made me and built a lot of confidence in me because my dad always hit me with this famous line. He said, son, I was an employee for my whole life, so you didn't have to become one. And that's when I decided I was going to start my business. And you don't have to be undocumented or documented to start a business in America. You can get an LLC anywhere as long as you have a social security number. And I'm very, very grateful that my parents applied for my social security number in that six months while we were here on a tourist visa. And I was able to get one because the system was a little different back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Dang, that's really wild. What you said that your dad told you, that gave me goosebumps. Really mm-hmm. amazing perspective. Yeah, shout out to my dad. Yeah, I your love dad, you, dad. Yeah, your family mm-hmm. seems like really awesome. The fact that they took that leap of faith to get you into this country, to get you the medical treatment that you needed. And now that you're able to reflect back and see how harrowing that journey was, but where you've come from that point to here, mm-hmm. being one of the bigger music video producers and directors, all of the businesses that you're doing, it seems like that really helped lay the foundation for you to be able to navigate what is arguably a very hard industry, right? Yeah, honestly, it's hard. But like, I always tell people like, at this point in my life, like, uh, it's not that hard. You yeah, know what I mean, like, okay, <laughs> I'm doing a music video, I'm getting paid $60,000 as a director. Like, that's not in like one day, that's not hard. Mm-hmm. You got know I me mean? like hard is like, you know, like I have some family that makes $20 a month working 40 hours a week, US. So it's like, that's hard. So right. it's like, just to have that perspective growing up always made me appreciate everything I have and to sure. make sure that I give back. And I feel like that's why on my Instagram and social media platforms, I always try to give, you know, the real inside scoop of things because I feel like a lot of people being lied to and like, it's just like, oh, this is a glamorous industry. It's like, no, I just got yelled at yesterday. You got me? Like, at to a point where like people, like, it affects my mental health where I have to text my team and be like, hey guys, just want to let you know that like I won't lie like this is tough mm-hmm. and like I don't like you, can you guys just I'm gonna make the VFX notes but can you guys just handle the, the rest of the day because I need to go to sleep you know right. or, or I gotta go like to a flotation therapy and like people don't talk about that enough in our industry so I'm really excited to kind of bring that conversation 
<laughs> um, with you. Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely a lot we're going to be talking about. But I want to know, when did you first get an interest in being, you know, wanting to be in the film industry? When did that first start? Yeah, honestly, like, I didn't really have like that, um, that like that story where like, oh, when I was like, like five years old, I saw a movie and it changed my life. Like, um, when I was younger, when I was like 12, like about 10 or 12 years old, me and my best friends who actually still work for my company to this day, um, was that we were just like playing with my mom's camera and we just started making little short films and we didn't even know what we were doing. Um, but you know, like things like the Chappelle show and sketch comedy really kind of like sparked our interest in it. Mm -hmm. Now looking back and connecting the dots backwards. And it was funny cause we were just trying to like remake Chappelle show. You got me. And we're like, Oh, let's start doing little skits. So we started writing them and just like putting them together. And we wouldn't even like cut the camera cause we didn't know how to edit. So we would just, you know, like change the characters and be like, you, you held the camera now. And in the background, you can even hear it. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so my be my best friends and I in the, the neighborhoods that I grew up in, I only lived in two neighborhoods growing up. One was like on this side of the street and the other one was on this side of the street. But one was like the hood and then the other one was like a gated neighborhood, like just right across wow. each other. So like I had my friends from the hood meet the friends in the, the new neighborhood and we all became best friends and we're all still working together to this day. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just funny that like every like that kind of like, you know, having movie maker on my mom's computer kind of like inspired me to learn how to edit. So then when I graduated high school, um, I wanted to go to Virginia Tech for college because I wanted to go to architecture. But when I applied, they're like, oh, we need your proof of citizenship. And I was like, damn, I don't have that. So I was like, well, all right, so what am I, what am I gonna do with my life? My dad's like, my dad's a barber, so he's like, you can go to cosmetology school, you know, and then maybe we can help you pay for that. And like just three years before, my sister had went to college. Um, she went to Savannah School of Art and Design because she had like this amazing talent of just like painting. So this lady basically worked her life into basically like making her an international student rather than applying as a citizen. You get mm -hmm. me? Cause she didn't have her citizenship either. And my parents basically had to pay. I, I forgot how much money, but I think it was $10,000. Um, and she was able to find scholarships for like her, like certain like undocumented situations and stuff like that. I didn't have that privilege cause I didn't have that special talent coming mm -hmm. out of high school. So then I was like, okay, well, um, they put the, they put a lien on the house and basically was like, uh, yeah, they basically went broke trying to put my sister to school. And I was like, and I saw my parents go through that. So when it came my turn, I was like, I can't do that to my parents again because they just sacrificed so much so my sister can go to school. And my sister didn't even know at the time. My parents didn't, never told her, but I just saw them like having the fights and the stuff mm -hmm. that, and going on. I'm like, you know, all the pressure of just being broke and just trying to make sure your kid has a better life. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna ask my parents for nothing. But my dad did give me a job. Um, um, barbering, uh, I mean, swiping hair at the the barbershop and I'd make about 60 to 80 bucks a day. Shout out to my dad and Ronnie, um, you know, and then, yeah, and sometimes they'd give me tips and I'd make a hundred bucks and that would last me the whole week. Mm -hmm. And I would use that money to take the bus and the trial route off to Miami because I was, I was raised in Fort Lauderdale. And in Miami, that's when I found five internships. So I internshiped at a place called Mix Studios, the Hit Factory, which is a famous music studio in Miami, um, Lex Promotions, which is a promotions of marketing company, uh, Two Night com, which is a club photography compa uh, company, and I also was a graphic designer for Pope Boy Music Group, which is like uh, the home of Flowrider. Mm -hmm. You got me. So I was Monday through Friday doing these internships and going to them every day, um, just traveling back and forth. And then next thing you know, I was just like, I started meeting people, and then I started realizing everybody wanted to be a rapper, everybody wanted to be a music engineer or a beat maker at the time, and I was like, well, w where's the opportunity? And I saw the one thing is YouTube started blowing up, so I was like, no, you know what? This guy asked me, he's like, yo, does anybody have a camera? We need to film an artist named Jeremiah. He's the artist that sings that song, Birthday Sex. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, yeah, I have a camera. So that same day, I went to my mom's house, and I'm like, yo, 
mom, dad, please, I promise you, I'll do anything. Can you guys like buy me this camera? I have a little money saved up because I was making like MySpace layouts and Twitter layouts and I was selling yeah. them for five, 10 bucks at school and stuff. So I was able to save some of that money and I had like a thousand dollars. But I'm like, yo, if you give me the extra 2000, I can buy a camera and a lens and I can have this opportunity. And then they applied for a Best Buy credit card. They got approved that same day. And then the rest was history. I bought a Canon 7D and that's when I just started shooting and capturing content everywhere. And that was like my first introduction to film. And then I'm like, wow. And like the guy loved the video so much that he's like, let's do this with all the artists. Mm -hmm. So I started meeting all these artists. And, and when people were on studio sessions at the Hit Factory, I'd be like, you know, let me shoot you a free video. And they're like, all right, for free, I'll do it. Like Maya, Dizzy Rascal, Kevin Cossum, songwriters mostly. And that kind of led me to different opportunities. That's really cool. And you know what's the underline? We had some time talking before this podcast went live. And it shows that you were you were prefacing how much the entrepreneurial aspect mm -hmm. has really affected you, your career, and yeah. how that's kind of your, always your step forward. And you see that even early in your career, you took the entrepreneurial approach. You looked what the industry needed. You looked at what the market was bearing. You saw that there's a new platform like YouTube. Yeah. You were being aware and that's something that's always really important to all the people that are looking at where you are today and what you can do today is be aware of what's happening around you and see how you can leverage yeah. that. Everybody comes with an inherent set of skills. You kind of knew what yours were, but you looked at it and it was like, all right, there's a place where I can fit in. It's and the gold rush. Big. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people need to adapt. Mm -hmm. You get me? And I think a lot of people don't understand that. It's like they'll, they'll work 10 years trying to get the one thing. And by the time they get it, it's like it's changed completely. You got me? So it's just like, that's why as an entrepreneur, you can be well-versed and have different different things in your portfolio to basically, mm -hmm. you know, put that out. Like, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. And once you started getting this footing as a director, someone mm -hmm. where you were in Florida, what were the next steps? Were you just getting bigger jobs? Were you then like brought onto a production team? Yeah. How were you starting to leverage where you are today? Well, I worked at a place called Two Night. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, they pay me like under the table as like an internship, but they would pay me basically like 100, 150 bucks a week to go to like three nightclubs a week. And I would basically from like 11 at night to seven in the morning, I would be doing like three nightclubs a day for like, you know, just at nighttime, like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on the weekends. And I would take these photos and cause I had a camera at this point mm -hmm. and then I'll start taking these photos. And then like, when I started seeing the people popping bottles at the club, I'm like, yo, you guys need a video. Like, are you guys rappers? Are you guys singers? Are you guys in the music industry? Like, what do you do? And then they'll be like, yeah, like actually, you know, you can capture this content, yo. And I'll be like, while I was taking the photos, I'll be like, yo, pay me an extra hundred bucks, I'll make you a video recap, you know? And then that's kind of how I started getting into things. And then people, the next you know, I started meeting local, like not local artists, but like, uh, I was gonna say local celebrities, but like people who were just like popping in the city. You get me? Like they weren't mm -hmm. like a worldwide artist yet. So I was like, all right, cool, I'll do your videos. and. Um, next thing you know, I started doing a bunch of free videos just to get to gain experience. I probably did like, honestly, like not even exaggerating, like a hundred free videos because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to export it on YouTube. There were no tutorials at the time. And I was just kind of like, as, as it grew and as tutorials started coming in and as places like Filmmakers Academy started like showing mm -hmm. me, showing you how to do things, I would just research and go to YouTube university and be like, all right, how do I export the video? So my videos first were like a little sm small square and then it started, oh, I'm like 1920 by 1080, like what's this? And I just started exploring, exploring, exploring. Oh, I can color correct. And then I was just like, oh, what kind of lens should I shoot? Oh, the 1855, because you know, the first lens you, anybody has in a DS, DSLR is always a 50 millimeter. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was like 1855, what is that? Oh, I can go wide. And then I just thought like, honestly, I was just like, it's just like, it was just like, I just got introduced to filmmaking and I was like, wow, this is really cool. So then I mm -hmm. just started anything that I could be a part of to learn, I would. So I started basically um, 
just paying for a bunch of sets and i'll be like look i'll pa for free i don't have any experience but you know i'll do whatever i'll do crafties i'll do whatever so i kind of came up through that um system um for a few production companies mm -hmm. in miami but then i started really just like kind of going out there and just shooting videos and just learning the hard way and next thing you know some kid um in my neighborhood um no no my best friend ivan he was working at a shoe store the kid who he was a co-worker with had a song called seed in my eye he was an artist by the name of 954 jo and i was like yo this song is a hit and that's when i started realizing i have like a talent for finding talent mm -hmm. and then i was like yo i think this song's gonna blow up and i shot the and i was like yo i want to shoot this video he's like no nah, i don't want you to shoot that video it's too big you know but it was really big at all but and then um he ended up giving me an opportunity to shoot this song called flyer than you think it was a little freestyle so i shot the video and next thing you know the, the rest was history and also at that point i didn't have a camera either so shout out to ivan my best friend he's actually a dj college photographer now mm -hmm. um i really appreciate him because he let me borrow his nikon d90 at that time and that inspired me to get the 7d a little later on you know oh yeah. yeah so how long were you in the like florida market before you transitioned out of there did you stay there quite some time trying mm -hmm. to cultivate your contacts yeah. being that scene i live with my parents till i was 26 i'm 31 this is mm -hmm. only five years ago you got me spanish families right um anyways um yeah so i was in florida for a while and i just felt like i like around 25 26 i started being like man like i think i could really like expand my network and also i applied for something called daca which is the dream act mm -hmm. and um around that time and because before i wasn't able i didn't get my first license till i was about 25 years old so like i got my id my first id when i was 25 because daca gave me the chance to do that and i also got married at 21 so we could talk about that later yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. it sounds like there's a lot there so what made there's a lot you everywhere what made you want to transition to a bigger market? Were you starting to get jobs that pulled you out west? Or what was the big next step for you? Well, honestly, Miami, just growing up there and shooting mm -hmm. videos there, it's like it rains a lot. Yeah. And, you know, when you're on small budget filmmaking, you got to shoot outside. And I'm like shooting videos at the beach and it's like it's raining. Or you're shooting somewhere outside and it's raining. And I didn't have money in the beginning of my career to like hire a studio to get lights. So, um, yeah, next thing you know, I like I met this one guy named Andre. He had a studio in Hollywood, Florida and he would just basically like be like yo for 1500 bucks you get the red you get the kino flow tubes and you know and you get the the fresnel kit from ari so you have your you know your 150 350 and 650 light and you could do the three-point lighting and i was like say less so i just started learning how to dp from that point yeah mm -hmm. so when did you know that specifically for film what you wanted to do within that world did you know at first you wanted to be a director a producer the dp or was it oh i really want to direct this is what yeah. i'm supposed to be doing honestly when i was coming up i didn't really think of any of that i was just like like opportunity is everything right so anything that anybody needed so at the music studios i was like i'll still clean your studio i don't care mm -hmm. like i'm cleaning the studio i'm running in the rain to get filet fish sandwiches for engineers who are mixing Chris Brown records. Like I was just like, whatever I have to do to get my foot in the door, I know that I don't have the same like opportunity or privilege that maybe some other people would have. So I'm like, I have to work tw twice as hard to prove myself. I don't have a yeah. car, you know, like people are like, Oh, like I'll, I'll lie to the studios and be like, yeah, my car's outside. And then next, you know, I'd, like when they said, Oh, go get a run for McDonald's and eat coffees, I would run my ass over there. You get me? So it's just like little things like that kind of shaped me into the character that I am today because it was like no excuses. Like, right. because if you get an opportunity, make the most of it. 
And that's kind of how I kind of like was raised, you know? I want to talk a little bit about your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial perspective. Yeah. And you said how important this has been for you to be able to leverage what you're doing and also to have a sustainable career. We talked about just being a music video director. While it's great, there is some money to be made. It's hard to have longevity. Why do you think that for you being an entrepreneur has been so important? Well, it brought that brought me to a place where I had a story with this director. I won't say his name, but he was killing it at the time. And he was doing all these big videos and he looked so cinematic. And I was like, bro, you're so good. And he's like, yeah, but I'm broke. You got me? And I was like, how are you broke? You're working with the biggest celebrities in the world. And he's like, no, man, like, you know, I don't get paid. I put all into my videos every time and I'm not getting paid. And now, like, you know, a series of events have turned in my life and now it's demotivating me to even want to direct. And mm-hmm. if your life's not good, how are you going to be good at directing if you're like, you know, like you can't pay your rent or whatever? And that that really spoke to me. And I was like, damn, like it's not as much as glitz and glamours. So I wanted to make sure I started focusing on the business. You got me? Because I was like, what's my art if I can't own it and keep it and, you know, make money off of it? I feel like I just think that's a conversation that, you know, is needed to be having in the industry. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, would you say that's how the industry is kind of shaping up to be where everything's in-house, like your brand, yeah. which is Blank Square and mm-hmm. obviously the other businesses, would you say that's a lot more of what you should be trying to attain is doing everything in-house? And when you're working with a label or whatever that is, it's kind of you being the like point person specifically rather than having like an agent or someone handle the business for you? Yeah, I think when it comes to the labels, it's like you got to start realizing like, yo, like at some point, you know, you can do all the free jobs. And I did them in the beginning. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I did a tons of free jobs. And I did a lot of videos for very, very low budgets. I'm talking about 100 bucks, 200 This is different times. Remember, mm-hmm. this is like, you know, 2011, 12, 13, 14. And it's just like, I was doing videos for free. Any opportunity that I could work with a celebrity, I would shoot their videos for free. Um, I remember Ace Hood. I don't know if you remember that artist. He had a song called Hustle Hard and the Bugatti, mm-hmm. woke up in a new Bugatti. So he was like this local artist who just ended up like, uh, his manager, Kiko at the time, who's not with DJ Khaled, called me and was like, yo, um, you know, I want you to shoot a video for Ace. What are you doing tonight? And I was like, I'm shooting your video. So he's like, how much you charge? I was like, how much you going to pay? They said 800 bucks. I said, say less. And then I went to there. I w- my friend had to drive me everywhere. Shout out to Ivan. Um, we'd be in this blue, blue Ford Focus. And basically, every time I shot a video, I would just pay Ivan half the money that I was making for the video so he could just be there with me so I can mm-hmm. have a car because I, I didn't have a whip. So I'm making $400, I was making $400. We go shoot this video and he's holding like the the soft box while I'm, you know, while we have that little Home Depot portable generator and we're shooting this video and then next you know, I edit it the same night and I give it to them at the studio and I'm like, here you go. And he's like, bro, I love the video, let's do more. Ace Hood introduced me to DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled ended up giving me a lot of opportunity because, you know, it's Khaled. He knows all these artists. And at the time, he was, you know, he was still, like, known as that radio DJ with, like, good records, you know? Yeah. Um, But he had, like, one or two hits. So it was fun to see him even grow and develop and being around him and his work ethic. That And, you know, Khaled's all about positivity and, you know, all this hard work and stuff like that. And I just saw how much he had to go through to get to where he is today. And I was like, okay, cool. So what's my excuse? So I was trying around the environment. And then Khaled, you know, introduced me to guys like French Montana, J. Cole, you know, like I saw everybody, Future, Rocco, Early, like, mm-hmm. and I was able to grab the, some of those opportunities and go from there. 
So when it comes to your creative style, your sensibility, yeah. obviously you got to work with a lot of amazing artists, but they all range in taste, genre, what yeah. their own aesthetic is. How did you start to cultivate what you want out of it as a director? Obviously, yeah. you're trying to make a product that's for them. So yeah. that's first and foremost. But when you started to do bigger and bigger projects, how did you start to figure out what your style might be or what you might want out of it creative, like creatively? Yeah, I love this question because I really don't feel like I have a style mm -hmm. and I don't take things as more so like, oh, I want to create this cinematically. Mm -hmm. I more think of it about it like I want to approach this in a way where it's like I want to learn about life. You get me? And I love filmmaking, but I always say I got good at life before I got good at directing. And I come into this place where like every opportunity I have, like I just went to Asia and shot a video in Singapore and I was like, okay, let me try it. You get me? And I'm about to go to Nigeria and, and shoot something over there. Let's try it. I shoot, when I first went to New York, I'm like, damn, I don't know anybody in New York. Go out there and explore. And it's really like the, you know, not to sound cliche, but it's the journey, not the destination. You get right. me? And I think within styles, like I always learn something new. You get me? All the time. And with these, different type of collaborators and artists and listening to other people and filmmaking is such a collaborative sport that you want to make sure you're never alienating things out. And as long as you capture true emotion and feeling like, yeah, the cinematography is very important. And if you're privileged enough to be able to capture things like a Roger Deakins or like making this mm -hmm. thing look like a beautiful movie, that's great. But if you can find the heart of the story and make sure you understand, like you're capturing the essence of the performance of the artist, especially in a music video, then I think that's really what resonates with the viewer. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's almost as if you're leading first with your curiosity, yeah. seeing where that takes you. And I think that's really smart. A lot of filmmakers get wrapped up in not living life. Yeah. And I'm glad the way that you articulated it specifically, I think, is really smart. And that's actually something that I dealt with a few years ago. I felt like mm -hmm. I was emulating. I would consume. I would see what a lot of filmmakers were doing. I'm yeah. like, wow, this is really great. And you kind of see that on Vimeo specifically. You see what the trends are and yeah. people do the emulation. Everyone's doing though the one video where everyone's just like floating in the middle of nowhere or they have like random objects around them and it's still like like i just think like you got to think for yourself at the end right. of the day because in this industry you can get really caught up in looking at other people's work and just going on shot deck or flim.ai or whatever these you know anywhere you get your references and start just copying everybody mm -hmm. and then you're like i have to shoot film and i have to shoot static and I, when kedra lamar drops humble then you like i got to do the zoom lens you get I me mean, it's like and everyone has a zoom lens in their video it's just like and you really just got to try and explore mm -hmm. and kind of go back to the first times you ever even picked up a camera and you're like Exper experimenting you know right like same thing with that dan apollo video i didn't know what the hell i was doing you <laughs> get me i was like i'm just gonna shoot this stuff and i'm just gonna run around and actually you know what i'm gonna go take uh, mushrooms and i went to a rave and i partied all night and that's how it felt and i was like that's why i wanted things to feel like swirly and just like that and i'm like how do i capture this and then you work with a great i uh, had a great director named um, santiago and he basically was like oh we can use this this lens or that and i'm like mm -hmm. okay and he's educating me on other things and then as you grow you get you know you have those kind of like those tools in your in your shed so you can pull them out whenever you need to yeah, I agree with all of that. And it's really important to yeah. live life and put that in your work because I feel like the work that stands the yeah. test of time, whether it be a music video, TV show, a film, it's always brought to you by the filmmakers of what they've truly experienced. Yeah. It's not emulation. It's not trends. And it ends up in a lot of ways with what the work that you're doing. It ends up being pioneering in yeah. its own way because you are Edgar and there's no one else that is Edgar and you realize, okay, I come with my inherent sensibilities, my perspective. Let me put that in there first, what I'm experiencing, exactly like the music video that we were just talking about. 
to have that experience of knowing what it's like to be on shrooms and then to reinterpret that in a passive experience like a music video is really great because only you would be able to take that interpretation and put it into there obviously other people have their own interpretations of like using mushrooms but yeah yeah it's really important i was going through it in mexico city (laughs) i went out there and i was like yo like the only way i'm gonna like not to say i'm a method actor but i was like you know what i really want to like i've never did shrooms at that point and I want to do a psychedelic video. So I'm like, boop. And yeah. then the next thing you know, I'm out there. I'm having fun. I met these two twins. We're dancing. Like, I was a little Edgar Estevisorio. And I was just like, <laughs> I was having a great time. And and I just lived my life. And I was unapologetic about it. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, I woke up the next morning. And I was like, I see life for what it is. You know? Right. Like an A24 movie. I'm like, <laughs> Your uh, ego died. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, I don't know anything. And then, um, and then yeah, just put that in the video. And that's why we starred, you know, um, men women trans any like anybody from any kind of walk of life we put them in the video because it was super important that it was just more about everybody and being together in one moment and everyone celebrating and having that energy in this one psychedelic rave yeah let's talk about some of your failures you know a lot of this stuff you do and it works but what about when you implement something or a concept you work with an artist and it's just not working how do you learn from that experience oh i fail all the time mm-hmm. you get me and like i learn every day just yesterday, it's like, you know, like, you got to understand everyone has a different perspective. So not like, especially when you're working in an industry, like sometimes I feel like people just gear up to work with the people that like make it easy for them. You get me? I go outside of the box and I try to challenge myself and work with those artists that are super hard to work with. You mm-hmm. get me? Because it develops a character in me. But remember, I was also, I was doing behind the scenes for guys like Birdman, Lil Wayne, DJ Khaled at the time. And those guys are tough. Diddy, you get me? And like you start seeing those type of guys and it's like, and you're around that energy and that time of in, in life, it was just like, there's no excuses. You get me? Like get the job done. We're not trying to hear it. Oh, I'm not getting paid enough. We don't care. You get me? It's like, you ain't about to get paid at all. So it's like, that's kind of where I came from. So it's like, I had a little bit of a different experience to have a tougher exterior but then also realizing once you get to your point where you are a successful person like how to manage different personalities and different egos because not everyone's the same just because i came from a hard life doesn't mean i have to treat someone else that didn't come from a hard life does that make sense yeah yeah not everything just because your pain might be more severe doesn't mean that the other person isn't dealing with the pain it's not like don't make it a cycle and end it at you and just be like look the past is the past and you know when you look back you're gonna end up crashing so like i just stay full so stay i just stay focused on the journey and my dad said like yo life is like a road stay on it you got me because if you ever deviar into different terrains you think it's a shortcut but you might just get stuck in the mud so, absolutely yeah. that's really good insight i think people need to hear that more yeah. because they love to put their pain or their weight yeah. on other people as if they always need to understand yeah. but i don't think it always needs to be that way and speaking of failures i'll talk about some of my lowest points just to give you some stories it's just like russ wife you up video we shot at the georgia broadcast center in atlanta georgia um, I was executive producing my own, like I have my own company. I'm executive producer. I'm the director. Um, and it was like my first hundred thousand dollar video. And I'm like, damn, like I just got a hundred thousand dollars. Like, this is crazy. I remember doing videos for 500 bucks, 100 bucks. Like, this is amazing. So I'm like, all right, cool. And then what you don't learn is accounting, you know, and I didn't know anything about it. So I'm like, all right, cool. And like write off. So I'm like, all right, I know how to keep my receipts and stuff like that. So I do this hundred thousand dollar video, you know, and then next thing you know, at the end of the video, I'm like, I made $30,000 and I was like, cause I only spent 70 and then I'm like, this is great. And then I'm like, wait, the check bounced. I didn't know. So the broadcast center, I didn't write in a check as like a five figure check to, to rent out the space. And next, you know, like 
it bounced and I thought I had the money. So then I like, cause I'm not checking my accounts because there's so many transactions when it comes to production. I ended up just like, honestly telling my friends like, yo, I have $30,000. Like we about to be lit. Let's go out of the club and let's go spend it and let's go live life. And I'm buying like the nice clothes, trying to impress the girls. I still don't got a car at this point. So I'm just like paying my friends for drives. I'm like, yo, here's a little extra, man. You help me get where I am, you know? <laughs> and I'm feeling like very like cocky a little bit and very confident about myself. And then the, the, the location emails me and says, Hey, you owe us 20 grand. And I'm like, 20 grand. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, well, the location was 12, and all the stuff that you rented was eight, blah, blah, and your check bounced. I don't know if you noticed. The check, I go to my Chase app. The check is not, not deposited. It took it out, and then it brought it right back to my account. And then I was like, I spent all the money. Now I'm negative $20,000. And like that's what people don't teach you, financial mm -hmm. literacy. You get I me? Mean? And I was like, that was really one of my biggest moments where I'm like, now, and they're like, you have to pay it in 14 days. I'm like, twenty thousand dollars in 14 days this is like it's like a movie it's like how am i gonna get this money you get me and i'm like well started shooting videos yo you want a video 1500 you want a video 2000 you want a video and at that point i'm doing my first six figure budget and then i'm like now i gotta go back and go right back to where i started and shoot these videos for 500 bucks to 2000 bucks and i shot like 10 of them Mm -hmm. And then I had to edit them all myself, which wasted all the time in the world that I couldn't even get the next $100,000 video. And like, you can't complain. And I wanted to get a colorist for Russ Wife You Up, but I decided coloring it myself. You got me? Because I was like, I can save the money and I could pay that to the thing, you know? Yeah, that's, and that is something you don't hear from a lot of people yeah. is the business aspect of filmmaking. Yeah. Especially as a director and a producer, you really have to understand that because there is a level of liability that you can enter, you know, and especially when you're paying a location or whatever yeah. it looks like, you have to be really like on point when you're starting there's out. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. There's a lot of, especially in America, there's a lot of policies. You got me. Mm -hmm. Every state is so different. California and being a W-2 employee to, you know, being an independent contractor in, um, you know, like somewhere like Atlanta. So it's just like you got to make sure you're up to date on all those things. But as you're directing, that can, can that can get in the way of your creative process. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. It is a tough balance to, you know, be the entrepreneur and a director. But I'd rather move at my pace and just go as much as I can rather than trying to be at everyone else's expectations of myself, yeah. you know. So what brought you to starting Blank Square? Yeah, man. Um my dad was like, yo, you need a corporation. And I was like, what's that? And then he's like, you need a business because, you know, you're spending a lot of money and you don't have any write-offs. You get me? But you still have to pay taxes. And you want to start paying taxes because one day when you at your in your interview for your citizenship, one day when you get your citizenship, you'll be able to come and be like, look, I paid taxes for the last few years, you know? And that, that will look good on your resume and they might not question you as much. And so I was like, all right, cool. So my dad took me to this guy named Henry, a little accounting, like, like think better call Saul kind of thing. And he's like, yo, um, Henry, we want to open up a business. And he's like, oh, what do you want to call it? And I was like, well, it's, you know what's crazy? I had a dream the night before I opened up my business with Samuel L. Jackson walking around at my office in New York looking over Grand Central. And there was a bunch of like autographs on a big blank square. And he's like, yo, what's that big blank square? And I was like, I don't know. It's the where people like, you know, sign the autographs. And then I woke up that morning and then I, my dad's like, I'm gonna take you to start your business. And he's like, what do you want to call it? I'm like, uh, I don't know, blank square. And then he's like, what's that? And I'm like, I don't know. I had a dream about it, but you know what? It just ain't even going to be successful. So whatever. Cause you know, I doubted, I was young. I doubted myself a little bit. And, and then he's like, oh, what do you do? And he, I'm like, uh, I guess I'll be doing productions. Mm -hmm. And he's like, blank square productions. And you know, 
Boom. <laughs> so what is your vision with Blank Square right now? It's, you know, you have a, lot, a, a roster of directors, one being yourself. You're kind of the founder of it, producer. What is the overall goal that you're trying to get from this production company? Well, I think when it comes to the production company, I'm very excited just to see where it goes, honestly, because mm -hmm. like if you were told me 10 years ago, I'd be where I am today. Like today we're on set of a commercial and I'm not even there. And I'm doing a podcast with you. Life mm -hmm. is great. Like I would have never thought that in a million years where I could not go to set and make money. I'm like, this is incredible. But the thing is, it's like, I really have no like clue where this life is going to take me. Cause life just like, from what I learned about, it has so many waves and up and downs that like, there was moments where I'm like, yeah. Then the pandemic happened. I'm like, huh. Then I'm like, gotta learn green screen. Yeah. And then AI comes. Huh. Now you learn AI. Huh. And now like, what's the next thing you got me? And it's just like, Life is always going to hit you with something. So I don't really like I trade appreciation. I, I trade expectation for appreciation. Mm -hmm. And I just appreciate what I have now. And as much as I want to look to the forward and I understand where the world is and where it's going. So that's why I started investing into real estate. I started investing into things like um, Original Sunshine, which is a, a non GMO gluten free flour. And we're doing like, you know, we create like the, the bagels at Air One and stuff like that. Right. I, I invest into other companies like uh, Tolago, which is a hard seltzer company and all these other companies. And I started investing, 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 because while I'm getting my director rates, I'm throwing that money back out into investing in things that hopefully will blow up and then make me money in the long term. Right. And that's really good. You're diversifying your portfolio and it shows that you're not just a filmmaker. Yeah. You obviously, your head is in the game. You can mm -hmm. be able to have the conversation with the executive producers. I know right now you're gearing up for your first feature film. Yeah. All of that business experience has gotten you ready to say, all right, I can traverse this sector of film, yeah. which a lot of times has a bit more ego in it, might be a bit more closed door. Mm -hmm. Not that music video doesn't have its own hard points, but it seems like all of the things that you're doing has been able to give you a foundation to go into a room with essentially anybody oh yeah and then it's funny because just like like yesterday i was at a superstar's house like lily superstar megastar if i said her name everybody would know who it is and i literally just like i'm like i'm getting so much experience just talking to her yeah. the fact that i can crack jokes with her where everybody else would be scared to talk to her i'm like that says a lot about me mm -hmm. and just being comfortable with yourself and knowing who you are and once you meet enough of these people and have enough experience, I feel like you just kind of like naturally just become, you know, a likable person. Yeah. You know, what did, what would you say for our audience, the people who really want to get to be where you are? What would you say some of the core things that everyone should be prepared with just starting mm -hmm. out? Let's say it's just a music video director. Yeah. Do you have any advice? Um, I think it's just honestly be yourself and pick up a camera and shoot as much as you can, especially in this day and age. It's like just try new things and experiment as much as possible. And when everybody's yep. inside, you go outside. When everyone's outside, go inside, you mm -hmm. know? And you wanna be the leader of that pack and the leader of the trends of like how filmmaking is. Or when I started doing videos and everyone started like doing these seamless transitions and stuff like that, I'm like, all right, cool, I'm off of that. I'm gonna go shoot something on film and use AI to mix it with the video to, okay, now everyone's doing that. I'm moving on to the next thing. And you just wanna, like you never wanna be following the trends, you wanna be the trendsetter, you mm -hmm. got me? and just keep having fun but stop listening to people stop going on vimeo looking at other videos and saying okay i need to shoot down 16 millimeter and i gotta do like this and the artist has to look this way and don't be a copycat draw inspiration you get I me mean? and just make it your own because a lot of these directors just kind of like take i just see the same video and i could be like oh that reference and that reference that reference yeah and if you're gonna take a reference don't take it from another music video take it from a movie you know mm -hmm. pay homage you got I me mean? like i just did that with 2001 space odyssey and it's like 
you know, the like the lot of floor yeah. with the kind of like the French architecture. Yeah. Like I just did that same thing, but it's like I made my own twist to it. You get me? And you also and give credit where it's due because a lot of sometimes in this industry we don't do that. Everyone right. just thinks, oh, it's all original. But it's like no, these people have been copying and stealing forever. You get me? And it's mm-hmm. you know, it's and it's flattering because it's like oh, it's like paying homage to the work. But like I just think some people are just copying and paste. And I don't think you should do that. You know what I find really surprising about the music video sector of just filmmaking is the community and how strong it is. I think that filmmakers who are doing music videos, one, are some of the most humble because Mm -hmm. they typically have to work in really quick, fast-paced environments. But they understand how to like be there for their crew and give credit where credit's due. The production club, I've been going to that in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. has been a really great thing that Andrew Sandler has been putting together and bringing in filmmakers like yourself. But what has been the constant through line is just the community aspect and like trying to set your egos aside and being able to collaborate, learn from each other. And I wish to see that more in, say, the narrative sector where it's TV and film. And they have a great community too. But there's something that I feel like the filmmakers that are coming from music videos. I mean, look at the Daniels now infiltrating just the Academy Awards Mm -hmm. winning Best Picture. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And Mike Ho actually talked about Mm -hmm. that during the production club last week week he's saying the creatives that come out of music videos the way that they have to work is something that the film industry speaking specifically to narrative is not ready for because they're going to bring a whole new perspective what are your thoughts on that um i agree with everything i think also you know um you can't really generalize the people but you could just say like that you know some people are going to have ego some people are not yeah and it is that's just the way life's going to be but when it comes to infiltrating the system, but like, I really think it all comes back to ownership. You get me? Because a lot of people talk, a lot of people talk, and they don't own their own work. And that's the sad part about this industry, where a lot of people are work for hires. And where like, what I do is like, on this film, the feature film I'm mm-hmm. about to do, I put up half the money for it. It's a lot of money. You know, I went to the bank, got a line of credit, and I'm putting up my own money. And if the film fails, I will owe that money still with interest, very low interest, shout out to my credit score. But it was just like, that's what's needed more in this industry. That's the conversation you need. Mm-hmm. Own your own content, you know? License your films, sell your film back and make a crazy profit that you could take that profit and spend it back on other films that you wanna create. A lot of people don't have that bravery or courage. And that's where I wanna come into it because yeah, it's cool, but A24 owns that movie, Yeah, you know? and they recreate a whole TV series that's basically the same thing called Beef, they are going to keep making money. The directors are going to be like, hmm. And I love A24. Not, not knock the dumb. It's just good business. You get what I mean? And I just think that's what's needed more in this industry. Like ownership. Mm-hmm. Creators have to own their own content. You look at like one of my friends, Russ. He owns his music. And he doesn't have to be mainstream. He can just have his core audience, go to direct consumer, and still chart on the billboard. A lot of directors can do the same thing. If you make a great movie, you can have your audience with social media nowadays and get a following and get, you know, all these people to pay you f- to watch your movie. Mm-hmm. And if you're that good and with your talent and your business lining up at the same time, you might change the whole model of the industry. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with. I know other people are trying to do that as well. And I think we have to have that conversation more because yeah. a lot of people are scared to put their own money where their mouth is. And I just see that happening a lot in this industry. And like, I know it, we're here. Like, look, you guys have an office. This, it's rent. These cameras cost. You know, your time costs. Everyone's time costs. 
put your money where your mouth is, you know? And I think a lot of people need to really like start taking that like seriously for real. Yeah. And I think that's really smart for narrative filmmaking, especially. I want to talk about how you see that happening in music videos, but speaking specifically to what you just said, um, it's interesting because I feel like filmmaking right now is the most corporatized it's probably ever been. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I feel like it's really hard because a lot of these streaming platforms are popping up, which they're great. It's a different distribution outlets, but how do you beat that? The distribution Mm -hmm. end of it, which is where a 24 and a lot of these big companies are coming in. What are you trying to do with your next film where you can lock that in? Yeah. Well, my film, I still have distribution for it and I found the right partner that I'm putting up half the money and they're putting up half the money and they have the network to distribute it. But we have to approach this company and say, hey, I wanna make this film. If it's cost four mil, I already raised two mil. You got me? Let's be 50-50 partners on it. Because, you know, I don't know, like, unless you have like some crazy family ties that you're not gonna just like wake up one day and call the CEO of MGM Studios and be like, yo, put out my film and make it in theater release. Like, that's not gonna how it works. Mm -hmm. But the leverage that we have as directors in this day and age with DSLRs and just filmmaking has gotten really cheap to make things. So to tell a story, at the end of the day, you can come out with some pretty high quality stuff for barely any budget. You got me? So it's just like, if you ever, if you have a high-end camera and you have a great location and a great talent, you could really make a movie. And I think that's where it is because a lot of the studio systems, they're, they don't know how to make theatrical releases for anything under a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. You got me? They're like, wait, we have to spend 10 million. Like, and you're like, I could do this for 600,000 because you come from that cloth, you know? And it's just like, because we come from a different generation, not the old traditional studio way, which is great, but you can still charge them 10 million, you know, and then you do, you do what you do. And I think that's like where like the system's kind of going. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, how do you see that working in music videos? Well, you- well, music videos, I want to give people examples. Like I did music video equity deals early in my career. So I'd find artists and be like, yo, I'll show you a video for free. And, you know, here's this one page contract that I had a lawyer um, shout out to Bernice in Atlanta. She's 21 Savage's lawyer. And basically it was like, I was like, yo, I want to I was like this random little kid. I was like 23 years old. And I'm like, yo, um, I know, like, I can't afford to pay you. But like you car, you charge like six hundred dollars an hour. But like, uh, can we um, drop this like one page agreement? How much would that cost me? She's like, oh, I'll do it for like a few racks or something. And I was like, OK, I got the money. I came back to Atlanta. I gave her the money and I said, I got a one page contract that basically said, if I shoot your music video, you know, I can own part of the song and I'll do it for free. So my compensation is zero, but your comp, but my compensation is a part of the song. So I started doing that with a lot of musicians early in my career. And when I did that, things started taking off. And then when they were signed to labels, they would come back and be like, all right, we want to buy the masters from the artists and the artists would get an advance. And I would say, just cut me in on your advance. And that's that's kind of how I started making a lot of money. Like, and, I, and then with that money that I made from these artists, I started inve- investing into my own equipment. I started investing in staff. I started investing into the infrastructure. I, I started investing into accounting, and that gave me the liberty to kind of like be where I am now. Yeah, that's very entrepreneurial. Yeah. yeah, knowing to not take the little sum of money up front. Yeah, knowing that there can be a bigger pool yeah. that you can get. From yeah, and then at this point, I don't even do that anymore. But. Um, because I was like, I have this whole theory about masters and I don't want to own anyone's masters. So I gave everything back to everybody. Cause I, even if it wasn't successful, I was like, you just have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know I mean, and it's just like, and that led to me like opening up a record label, doing a joint venture with Warner, signing an artist, doing the whole thing, you know, and you know, creating the right deals for artists. So like that. And then, you know, 
That's, That's really goes. awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the creative directorial aspects, you get to work with a lot of big artists. Yeah. What is your preparation as a director knowing some of these you might not work? Say you've never worked with this artist mm-hmm. before. How do you set expectations, work with them, knowing that you're representing them and trying to deliver a product that will only help them? Do you have any way that you kind of like formulate your tactics? I think sometimes like sometimes a, a director i see this a lot work, will work with an artist in the first time and they'll be like damn they don't want to do what i want to do i have a vision and they're killing my vision mm-hmm. and the director has their own like personal agenda towards the video because they want to make something that they could post as well and that could probably lead them into different opportunities that they want but then the artist might be like bro i just want to rap you know and i want my homies to be in it so you're like all right so you got to understand who you're working with first and then kind of like kind of tailor it around them and kind of like in a weird way, manipulate them to doing the videos that you want them to do. Mm-hmm. You get me? And I think sometimes it's just like, cause they might not even know that you have their best interest in heart because they don't even know who you are. So they're like, yo bro, I make hit records all the time. Like, what do you do? You know what I'm saying? You're shooting my music video. Like this is my project. So it's like a lot of artists have that ego. So you want to make sure if you're, if you're a director and you want to create stuff that's beautiful and like, and it's more of your vision, you got to make sure you're pairing up with an artist that, has that same vision, mm-hmm. you know, with you. And if not, then like, you're going to kind of have to make it a collaborative effort. Yeah. Do you, do you typically do treatments? Oh, I do all my yeah. treatments. Yeah. Do you, I love doing it. And actually yeah. like, if I don't do my own treatments, I tried it once and I was like, what's the video about again? And I got awarded. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what this video is about. And I'm like, I don't, uh, can I change the idea? <laughs> Could you discuss yeah. about your methodology when making a treatment, what mm-hmm. you try to showcase and try to convey to either the label or the artist to get brought onto a job? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we should insert a picture of my treatment. I'll yeah. send one to you so you can yeah. see it. Um, but yeah, I just kind of like I make a treatment. I make it feel like a magazine, and then like I just send it over because it's like it's like even if I don't get a word it, it's like it's my own personal work. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like I don't even work a lot with labels. Like I do, they pay me, but I'm I normally have a relationship with the artists directly. You get me, and I've make sure to build with artists and managers rather than music labels because. You know, music labels, first of all, the video commissioners, they come and go so fast. You got me? We love them and we appreciate them and they do work hard and they're human beings. So we want to make sure we respect them. But at the end, what I've what I've seen that worked for me is making sure I'm cool with the artists. If Russ takes off, I take off. You got me? If this artist takes off, I take off as well. You got me? And make friends with them, have a relationship with them, humanize them, go play basketball with them, you know, just be a regular person. And I feel like a lot of people don't do that. Mm-hmm. You get me? But you know, you want to have this charisma to make sure like people want you around and why they want you around. Cause every time you're around, things just turn out magically better than they were, you know? Yeah. That's really good advice. It's important. And I always think about that when it comes yeah. to business and I always say that when I'm talking business with people, I'm like, listen, I want to be friends first. Business mm-hmm. is going to come, but I want to know that you and I can hang out and it's not overly transactional all the time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, especially artists want to know that, yeah. that you're not here to just leech off their coattails and yeah. ride up there, that you're actually want to benefit them and to be a part of the process, make something great, but also have fun doing it. And I think especially our generation, we look at what our parents had to go through or what the American dream, a lot of it was always so transactional. It was, there was a lack of fun, but we know, okay, if we're going to be creating content, one, it's a privilege, it's a privilege to live in this space. So why not have it be fun at the same yeah. time? And I think that's important for all people to hear. Yeah. I think Buster Rhymes just recently told me this. He's like, I just met him about four months ago and he's like, I love you. 
And I was like, oh, that's pretty deep. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you love me. I love you too then. Um, and he's like, you know why? And I was like, oh, please tell me. And I actually recorded the video clip. So maybe I'll answer the video clip here too. But it was funny because I was like, he's like, you know, I edited a video uh, with Nicki Minaj and the editor came to my set. I was like, yo, can you pull up to my session? And he's like, he charged me like $10,000 extra. Just to pull up. Just to pull up every time mm-hmm. because, you know, working with artists sometimes, they want to see the footage. They want to see the stuff and then they have the right to do so. And he's like, and Edgar, you haven't brought up money once. And I'm like, look, man, like, I'm just appreciative and I want to earn your trust more than anything. Like the $10 will come and go, but you and my, me and you having a relationship is going to be last forever, hopefully. And you take that risk because sometimes they might do all that and then they'll be like, kick rocks. But sometimes they'll be like, you know what? And you have to understand who you're doing that with and kind of like use your own judgment of character to be like, do I want to pursue this person or not? And if it works out, then amazing. If it doesn't, then I understand that, you know what? I tried my best and maybe there'll be another opportunity come in the future. Mm -hmm. But I think like earning people's respect is more than anything. Like I don't even have a commercial rep. How are we doing a tequila commercial today? It's because I know certain people. You get me? It's all relationships. The people that I was good to six, seven years ago are now in a position where they they can make the decisions and come back to me. So always remember that. And always treat people fairly and nice. And, you know, if you have a chance to pay someone or give someone a little extra because they earned it, do so. You know, in the moment, in the short term, you might be like, ah, no, I need the money. I need the money. But like in the long term, I promise you'll pay back so Mm-hmm. in tenfolds you know yeah having patience is really important yeah. having patience also respects other people who are trying to figure out what's going on just business wise and i'd love to hear your perspective because i do think it's unique um just in terms of reps agents yeah. having people be being able to be there to back you but knowing when those people yeah. are also kind of being leechy and not by, really benefiting but by, by the way having a rep and agent is not a bad thing mm-hmm. if you're a particular type of person you get yeah. me some people don't want to be in front of people. Some people don't like talking to people. Some people just want to do the job and go home. You get me? I'm just more speaking to the people who are more entrepreneurial and be like, I want to basically be in charge of my own life rather than wait for somebody else to give me an opportunity. That's really what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 And talk about that. What is that giving you the skill set? Obviously, you're able to manage a room. You're able to manage you yeah. know, your productions. Do you ever feel like you need that? Or has it been particularly just like good with the team that you have surrounding yourself already? Yeah. Well, I was working with some people and then like I just kind of saw some like moral issues that I didn't kind of like want to like I didn't really agree with. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I just can't do business with you. Like like morality wise, like I just couldn't sleep with myself if I was working with you. So I call my, my sister, her husband, and all my best from childhood. And I said, y'all all moving to LA. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, I'm gonna pay y'all rent for a year and y'all gonna figure out what you wanna do. Whether you wanna be producers, directors, I'm gonna teach you guys everything. And within that year, Marquise Abrahams, head of production, Andres Garcia, head of production, Gabby LaRosa, which is my sister, um, business manager, um, John LaRocha, CFO, Dante Austin, COO, you know, and Alan Yip, production manager, Andres' friend, Miguel Garcia, mm-hmm. producer. You got me like, and I just started building people that I trusted. You got me? Because that's an, another important thing. You can have all this success, but like, I forgot who said it. I think it was Kendrick Lamar, but you know, it hurts the most when you fall from the top. And it's just like, and I started thinking about that. And I, I didn't want to be at the top of my career and have everything crumble because of ego and people. Like me and my friends always call each other and I can show you messages just last night. I was like, friends first. You get me? Like, we're always friends. Let's remember that. Mm-hmm. We're always, we're people. You get me? You don't know what I go through. You don't know what, I don't know what you go through, but we can always speak to each other and, and have that trust mm-hmm. in the company to make sure. And that's why 
they're doing a commercial right now and I'm here because I trust them. You get me? They're handling everything. And if they mess up, I'm down to take those mess ups with it, you know, Yeah. and grow with them. It's just like a relationship. Yeah. You know? If you fall, we all fall together. Type yeah. Scenario. And if we rise, we all rise together. And yeah. that's kind of like how I like to build my company. And, and it does take a lot of hard work, but you have to remove your ego and just be like, I'm going to be that person to bring all this together. Mm-hmm. And whether I get credit for it or not, I don't care. You got me? It's just more so I want to help these people. I think it's the right thing to do. And I want to see them shine. And now we just opened up an agency and now they have equity in that. You got me? And and build them up as well and give them opportunity. Don't yeah. just, all right, build my company for 10 years and then be like, you know what? Kick rocks. Thanks. Like, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people like that. Right. And when other companies do that to people, I say, yo, come over here and let's partner. You know? Yeah. That's smart. Yeah, Yeah, you create an incubator of sorts. And we were even talking about the film industry has to be better, especially agents, representation on taking chances Mm -hmm. on filmmakers that might not have the portfolio yet, but show that they are talented. You know, even based on one video, you can start to see what a director, hopefully what his skill set might be and what you've done really well is foster some careers i know yeah. we have a mutual friend john primo haven't yeah. seen him in a while shout out but he's a great example shout out john primo yeah i remember mm-hmm. seeing when he was first starting before he was involved with you he had a tenacity to him he was trying yeah. to do projects that maybe he wasn't at the capacity to do just yet and then you swooped him up i guess my question ultimately is what are you looking for in directors or what do you think what do you see in a director when you're like oh i want this guy part of my team yeah, it's resilience. I mm-hmm. think that's like the most important word for me. It's like when looking for a director or a producer or anybody and to be on the staff is just resilience. Like, are you going to let this life beat you up? You get me? Or are you going to rise to the occasion and rise like the phoenix that you are? You know, and that's what I really look at because it's like there's a lot of times where like you can lose it on set. Mm-hmm. You get me? You got 20 people, you have labels asking you things, especially in music videos. You have everyone's hands in the pot, especially if it's this big artist and everyone wants to be a part of it. And at the end of the day, you're the director. So you have to learn how to like manage all these personalities around you and not snap on people and like not be like that. You know, I've seen directors just be like, no, 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 like, like be disgruntled. And it's like, everyone was like, yeah, we're never working with you. Five years later, they have no career. You get me? And it's, and it's, it's sad to see, but you have to control your emotions. You have to be respectful. Um, and you have to be willing and open to learn and understanding that we're all students. And at the end of the day, if you see something that I'm doing wrong, approach me and tell me and have transparency. But I feel like nowadays everyone's so scared to talk to each other that no one's telling each other like, yo, you shouldn't say that. Oh, yo, you're doing this wrong. Yo, the way you handled that, I don't agree with. You get me? Mm-hmm. But then you'd be like, no, nah, what do you know? I'm the big director. And it's like, no, nah, you can't be like that. You have to just be open and be transparent to people so they can understand the world that you come from and the world they come from and then mesh those together. Mm-hmm. And just being a director today, would you say that it's a lot different than it was in the past, especially when you were first starting out? It seems like you've you understand that diversifying yourself, you know, into different mediums mm-hmm. as well. Do you try to stay up to date with what's happening in like the narrative sector, also even like the gaming sector directors? Do you just call yourself a music video director? Or are you a director for hire? It just depends on the medium you're getting hired for now. Yeah, I would just say um yeah, I'm just a creative at yeah. the end of the day. But uh, with when it comes to all that stuff, it's like also when you run your own company, you're going to learn when to let go. Mm-hmm. Like I just feel like I just got started. Like I just got to the moment where, okay, I'm doing these three hundred dollars to $700,000 music videos. Like this is where I've always wanted to be. I'm at the top of my game. I'm, at, I'm in that top 1%. And now that I could really run it up, 
I pass those opportunity off to my directors. Mm -hmm. You get me? And that's why you see a lot of co-direction with me. You'll see John Primo and me co-directing. You see Juan Felipe and me do the World Cup. You get me? I wasn't even about to do the World Cup video if it wasn't for Juan Felipe. That's what people don't understand. I was in Colombia and I was like, I was with him and I'm like, man, I just got this opportunity to do this video. It's called Tuku Tuku Ta. Like, I was like, what is this? And I'm like, I listened to the song. I'm like, all right, it's cool. It didn't have uh, Nikki's verse on it yet. But I was like, I was like, damn, I'm just really busy and I'm really focusing on my film right now. And then Juan's like, yo, if it's with FIFA, like, don't turn it down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, man, well, if you want to like drop a treatment and I can look over and I'll give you my notes and then we can work on it together. And we did that. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. And that's why you want to build a team that can support you. Like Jay-Z says, if everyone's a crutch around you, you're never going to fall. And that's kind of what I have did. It's just like, because when it comes to writing that treatment, I was I was not going to do it. The 88 Rising video that we're about to drop uh, with Steve Aoki, John Primo was with me. And I'm like, look, man, I think I'm going to turn this one down. I'm just so busy. And he's like, yo, bro, don't turn it down. I got you. He wrote the concept. I changed the scene. We sent it to the co- uh, the label and they loved it. Thanks. You know, we're in Singapore. We're shooting it together. I said, put your name first. You get me? And giving that credit where the credit's due, being on the podcast and, t- and like they see mm-hmm. this and they're like, wow, like I appreciate you for saying this because I know like there's many times where I did that for other directors and they act like they did it by themselves. You got me? And I always say like, you know, um, alone you can go fast, but together you can go far. And I think that's like a real like uh, mentality that we put into our company because we want to be in this together and we want to rock and we're going to blow up together and we're going to be all happy for each other's success. But mm-hmm. I think that's a thing that like, Sometimes as a human, not even filmmakers, like we get a little bit caught up in ego, but right. I'm like, I'm lucky that I felt like I've worked on myself in the, the background that I come from. I'm just very grateful to have what I have. So if life was just like done today, then I was like, I'm okay here. You yeah. Know? You've gotten the success that you need. And yeah. I think that's really good. Always, you know, some people ask me, you know, Brendan, how do I get to where I need and how do I know when I have enough? It's like, you kind of mm. have to draw your line yeah. in the sand. You have to set yourself a realistic goal. Yeah. I think is always the best thing to do. Set yourself. If I got this, then the rest of my life I'll be yeah. okay. But then anything else on top of that, whether yeah. it's another project, another career goal, it always feels new. And you're like, oh, you know, I already got what I need, but now I'm getting to do all of this extra amazing stuff on top yeah. of it, which is great. It's best to set your si- your ego aside and understand your consumption. It's really easy to just want to consume one yeah, more. It's like, remember, more. remember that you have what you currently wish yeah. for, what you used to wish for, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's really, that's all that it is, man. But sometimes, you know, it's life. People change, you know, and yeah. like you can't really predict someone gets a family and they're like, I got to do what's best for me. And like, you can't hate on that either. So no. it's like, you know, it's just like, it's all balanced. You know, I just think having transparent conversations is really like the key to the success. It's just mm-hmm. like telling people straight up, like, I'm going through it today. Yeah, <laughs> I need a nap, you know, yeah. like, and that's basically like what I do. Like, I don't hide anything from anybody. Um, we have like a budgeting software that we created that way, like in-house that basically we could show our directors so they can see where their money's going. It's like, yo, do you really need 40 extras? Well, that's how it's affecting your budget. So if you want a higher rate, cut out six extras. Mm-hmm. If you're paying $400 for six extras, you just saved $2,400. Would you want that? Or would you want it to go into editing, color grading, typography, additional VFX, let us know, you know, let's work together. But I, sometimes I feel like production companies and producers will work together and they'll be like, they'll hide all that information. And they're like, no, you can't see it. And you're like, where's all the money going? Catering, you know, crafty. Right. You know, it's just like, uh, man, did we really need tortillas? Could we eat Chick-fil-A? And then like save like a thousand dollars and I could have got five extra extras because mm-hmm. I needed them. What's more important? 
You get me? And I just think having those transparent conversations is what lead us to be able to create what we do. Mm-hmm. And then for you, you didn't have the chance to go to traditional school. How mm-hmm. do you feel about traditional just schooling right now for film? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's the best option or would you just say, just get out there? Well, I think, um, I think if you're privileged enough to go to a college, go. Yeah. Because it's more about the network than more so the education when it comes to film. Mm-hmm. But they'll put you on the books. They'll put you on things like education is great. And if that's a way of life, that especially a lot of people come from that. Like my sister loves college. Like if she could mm-hmm. do college for a living, she would. You get me? But like I'm not I'm more like put me out in the field. You get me? So everyone's different. So like if you have the opportunity to go to college, I'm not going to be one of those guys to be like, nah, you don't need that. You get me? It's like. If I had the chance to go to like USC or UCLA or Full Sail at the time or NYU, I would have gone. Mm-hmm. Just I just didn't have that chance at that particular time. Yeah, I still might go to school. I always think about that. I'm like, yo, should I just go back to school and just learn like, like, like VFX to the highest capability? And I'm like, nah, eh, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. like should I just stop everything right now and just be like, <laughs> and then four years later just start just animating all my because I have your own VFX. But house. you have to think about yeah. it, right? Like. You know, like in the future, it's like something like especially now that we're going to be more indoors. I'm like, I feel like nowadays, especially after the pandemic, it's like you start thinking like, you know, I want to learn animation. So we start a lot. We started assigning directors who just do animation. You get me? And then like, mm-hmm. that's a beautiful example of just like adapting to what we were talking about. We'll talk about Digital Sword. You kind of did yeah. that as a, in, in a way, maybe not VFX, but for mm-hmm. editing. I know, you know, Cal, he mm-hmm. was another friend of mine. Uh, what was your yeah, goal Cal with... And John. Yeah. What was your goal with Digital Sword well, and helping them out? Well, Digital Sword basically was like, we had my best friend, John Pabone. He mm-hmm. edits all my videos and he's also a very talented director. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, um, John Primo was roommates with Cal. Mm-hmm. So then they they came from like the same circle. So then when we brought John Primo as a director, he's like, and I started directing, I started, edit, I started directing a lot of videos. I think in one, one year I did like 111 videos and like i was like i was crushing it i think in like 20 20 2020 like pandemic actually that's like probably the my height of my career honestly and next thing you know i was like well um we need we need to we need to start a post house joan and then john's like yeah let's do it and then john primo's like well i know this editor cal i'm like yo cal question would you want to start your own company because he was a freelancer and he's like, yeah, I just don't like really, you know, it's like, it's, it's a lot of work. But I was like, yo, what if I gave you the infrastructure of Blank Square and supported you at this new company that you guys want to start? And I pair you up with John so you have a partner. And then they're like, all right, cool, let's go three ways in it. And this is where people can't be greedy. It's just like being like, yo, Cal, John, all right, let's be a three-way partner. But honestly, I'm not going to be there editing every day like they will. So I said, look, I'll take a smaller percentage. You guys, like I learned this from Phil Knight and Nike the 5149 thing when it comes to the coach so it's basically i was like yo you guys own most of the company i'll own a small part and i'll just help you as my role grows we can talk about that you got me and that's kind of what i did so they they're majority owners i own a small stake in it and we came together and i wanted to make sure they were getting paid for what they got paid for and i said Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is a hard thing but now they have about like uh, eight to ten editors you know like any given day and it's just like you see them just pumping workout we have a office in hollywood we have a whole floor it's like great and i have one office for blank square there and then they help offset those costs so we all work together to make sure things are great like i have two rooms they have four and then but then when we go there like they feel like they have six rooms and when i go take my clients they feel like i have six rooms you got me Mm -hmm. because in a way we do but that's what that's what about trust and partnerships is so important you know 
That's really cool. It's great that you're able to bring creatives together. And you know, ultimately, you're aligning all of your visions to be able to do one thing, to be able to grow, but grow together. And I think that's really great. You you talk about mentorship specifically, Mm -hmm. and you've had the opportunity to be a mentor. And something else you have coming up, you're launching your own shadow program. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Well, people don't know that I basically... Um, I'll be like, yo, text shadow to this number and you'll get, and then next thing you know, you'll be on set with me. And I just had this girl, um, Anastasia, she would, she would laugh if I butchered her name cause I kept butchering her name. And she <laughs> was like, so she came to the, the, the tech scout, the pre build, the pre light, the shoot day. And she also came to the, the editing side and she saw everything and she saw the conversations that I had with the artist. And I'm like, just, and you got paid for that. You get me? So it's like, learn. And she's like, what do I do on set? I'm like, nothing. Learn. I'm paying you to learn because I pre- I appreciate the people's support. You get me? Without the people, I, like, my videos wouldn't be seen. So I'm a very, I'm just a very, I have a lot of gratitude when it comes to that because, like, I know that any given day that this can all be taken away from me. So, like, I just want to make sure I'm giving back to the people who really, like, buy a hat or, you know, when I do a, a live, like, they, they buy a ticket. I appreciate that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, like, chip them out their money or anything because, like, I know how it feels to, like, be on these, like, summits or whatever and be like, hey, what, I have a question. It's like, yeah, we'll get to you, but you just paid $1,000. But you know what? Thank you for your money. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're just giving you this general advice, um, you know? And I don't want to be that guy, you know? Yeah. And what is the long-term goal with Shadow? Are you trying to organize it in anything or is it just simply meant to be that yeah, people just, that can come Shadow? It's just to give opportunity, honestly. Like I was going over my emails and we turned down millions of dollars of work every year. You know, like someone's like, oh, I got a $10,000 video or $20,000 video. And like for us, that might be low. But for someone that could be their biggest opportunity in life. Mm-hmm. You get me? So I'm like, how about if we kind of be able to like, you know, create a platform where we can give opportunities and people that we see growing within the shadow program and who work hard and who are diligent and who understand and are willing to learn, we can give them those opportunities. You know, now that I've built the network of producers around me to kind of like lead them in the right way and give them insight and be like, hey, now nah, like your treatment, it's too expensive. Here, change this idea before we send it in, blah, blah, blah. And like mm-hmm. having people like that, that's a great tool. Because, you know, directors will be like, all right, here's a $50,000 brief. And they'll be like, all right, well, here's a million dollar idea. And it's just like, we would love to do it, but we only have $50,000 as a client. And to understand that, you know, because sometimes directors don't understand that, you know. Right. Well, everyone, if you're listening to this, you better get at Edgar because it looks like you have some really great opportunities coming down the way. Now, with this next step in your career. As you receive the blessings, make sure to give them back. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. And now that you're stepping into your next season as a director, narrative this is your first time doing a feature film what are your goals with this feature and what are you hoping to get out of this sector are you hoping to continue doing more feature projects what are you looking to do um i just want to tell stories and i want to give uh the voiceless a voice um i'm doing a project about these kids in nigeria they're called the ikarudu boys who remake who remake hollywood movies with um their smartphones and they became a, a very big social media sensation so i'm very excited to like you know, just go down there and like, honestly, like we're still in pre-production, but I'm going to go down there and I'm just going to live. I'm going to meet the boys. I'm going to film everything. And I'm just going to capture Martin Scorsese style, create the documentary before I even do the film mm-hmm. and just really take my time to go through this process. And, you know, but when you're working with studios and other people and partners that don't get you, then like you can kind of be like a little bit like, you know, like pigeonholed and you have deadlines to meet with this one. I don't have any pressure. 
You get me? I just want to make sure it's good. It's my first film and I want to make sure it just, and I, I just want to make sure out of everything, not even just for my own career, but for the boys story to be authentic, to make sure we're hiring local crew, people give opportunities to people in Nigeria, you know, and uplift that community because they've been so supportive because these boys used to remake my videos for f four years ago. They mm -hmm. did a DeVito, Chris Brown one. And then they remade the Roddy Rich, the box video for us. And then, then like, you know, and like they've been so supportive of my career. I just want to make sure I tell their story in the right way and create something that's unique, unclassified, and just something that's just speaks to the Nigerian dream, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. I love yeah. the approach of doing a documentary first, yeah. being able to live that life. It's kind of Kelly Reichardt. I don't know if you know mm -hmm. that filmmaker, uh, but I love her. She she has a really interesting career because she's also very pro-academic. She's a teacher at a university, and then on her summers, she does her like bigger budget yeah. movies. Bigger budget meaning like a few million. But she gets to work with some of the biggest actors, actresses in the industry. And what I love about her, she does similar to you, is she goes and lives the experience yeah. of whatever story she's telling. So for certain women, she lived in these rural settings yeah. for months and just was an active participant. Yeah. And then once she felt like she really cultivated and understood their perspective, then she took the step to make the film. Yeah. And I love that perspective. A lot of people come in thinking that they know, they're like, ooh, the story's really cool, mm -hmm. I wanna tell it. But they don't spend the time to actually understand oh, the yeah. subject There's matter. a lot of stories to tell, but like at the end of the day, like experience, and perspective or everything mm -hmm. and especially with everything happening with representation in Hollywood nowadays I definitely want to make sure like I'm just like I'm not Nigerian at the end of the day yeah but I have the tools to make it and I know I can crush it so I partner with the right people I listen you know I have real transparent conversations as I said yeah and you know I create a beautiful story and when the film comes out we'll look back at this clip and be like yeah I talked about it here first on the Filmmakers Academy. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be back talking yeah, about this. Exactly. Film. Yeah. Uh, what are some what do you see, you know, with everything that's happening in film? I feel like there's a lot of stuff changing. Where do you just see the industry as a whole going? Well, I just met with um, Crystal Ball, who's the CEO of Runaway Studios. And AI is just kind of crazy right now. Yeah, it's very crazy. And I've been learning about it and I'm like debating whether I implement it into the film or not. Um, there's still like a lot of laws and, you know, copyright issues that you got to make sure you're, 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 you're thinking of actually. Um, but yeah, man, AI is kind of crazy and there's definitely some good tools honestly to use to get ahead and make things faster. But at the end of the day, I'm a little bit of old school. So I just kind of like want to just go live, make a yeah. movie, shoot. And that's my life, you know, like yeah. that's what I chose for my own agenda. That's what I want to do in my heart, you know? So it's like, and it's my life and I only live in my brain to like, at the end of the day, like I just want to make sure I'm happy and yeah. doing things that make me happy. And as AI develops, I'm already on the Gen 2 right now, and I'm like, this is stuff is crazy. Mm -hmm. like, I'm in the beta. I'm like, wow. So mm. what is most intriguing about AI for you in terms of just filmmaking and implementation? Yeah. Well, last year we put in like I was excited to bring it to the mainstream a little bit because I feel like there was like a lot, a lot of like smaller artists using them to do videos, and they're really iconic. But then like I did with Dana Paula, who's like mm -hmm. the Rihanna of Mexico. And like people are like, how'd you do that effect? And I'm like, was that AI generated? Yeah, yeah. that was AI generated. Um, shout out to Roop um, from the Netherlands, I believe. Um, sorry if I got that wrong. But <laughs> I talked to these guys through WhatsApp, but it's like, you know, and like they're just explaining to me like what we can do and the possibilities. And I'm like, and I'm like, teach me. Like I have the tools, I have the mainstream celebrities to work with. Like I would love to pitch this to them, but I can't pitch it to them if I don't learn it. So they, they're luckily you find people that are fans of your work and who want to educate you in different techniques. And I sit there and I learn and I, and they start explaining things about it. And I'm like, wow, we can really do that. 
where I could put his face on his face. Like, and uh, I don't even need the iris. Ah, uh, man. And then, like, boom, possibilities. And then from there, you just take it as ideas. And mm-hmm. you put the good idea to it. And, you know, you see what you get out of it. Do you have the name of some of these AI tools that you're working with? What, like, the platforms are so people can mm-hmm. do their own research? Yeah, well, Runway Studios, um, check it out. There's a program called Gen 1, Gen 2. Um, mm-hmm. That's really dope. It's like a mid-journey, but for, like, video. Okay. And you can basically just type in things and stuff like that. It's still beta right now, so they're just asking for feedback on the creatives like myself. And we've been giving them feedback, and it's exciting. Um, but, yeah, like, it's just, like, AI is just... Honestly, there's so many tools coming out. Like just in one week, it'll mm-hmm. change dramatically. So it's just like, let me just learn. And I'm not gonna say I'm an expert at it, but I won't lie. Like I just think about great ideas, and then, you know, let's hire the right people. You know? Yeah. How do you go about the legal stuff? Because there is a big like ethical question yeah. about AI generated art being pulled from other people's art and then reinterpreted. For this specific video that we were talking about, how did you get to utilize that art in the music video? Was there any like loopholes or like hoops that you yeah, had to jump well, through? Well, the thing is what I used was like um, images from the actual video. So yeah. I was taking photos on the video that we basically looped back into. So we used the colors from the photos that I took a photo of from the people that we have cleared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we used our own like thing to put in the AI to generate a weird effect on our face. Yeah. You get me? So yeah. we play with lighting and stuff like that. So that was just, that was how we did it because like, you know, it's like a Kanye West beat sample, you know, it's like you sample it so enough, you don't even know what it is. But, um, yeah, it was exciting to do that, you know, especially when you're working with like universal music, you want to make sure like everything's royalty free or make sure everyone's on the same page and you're not just like taking this from another, right. you know, person and this and that. And then it comes back 10 years later and you get sued and like, no, you gotta think ahead too. Yeah, it's really interesting. You hear, you know, the ethical part, it is up for discussion. But yeah, it's a tool we have to be able to understand. And like you said, being able to stay up to speed with all of the evolutionary stuff that's happening with tech. That's how you continue to lay the foundation for you to have longevity. And it really goes to show that's what you've been doing is you've looked at what's happening. You've set your ego aside on exactly what you want to have happen in your own career to kind of let the industry as it's evolving help guide you yeah. in a lot of ways. Also, look at all, like what I do a lot is like, I look at the the giants, right? The Spielbergs. What are they investing in? You get me? Just, <laughs> they did Jurassic Park, right? Yeah. So just know. Yeah, that's true. Coming. It's all an evolutionary state. I mean, AI in a lot of ways is creating something similar to how they used animatics yeah. and all of that stuff. Or not yeah. animatics. The clues, um, the clues are yeah. there in life. You got the internet now. You can search up. Yeah. What has Steven Spielberg invested in? And it'll tell you. Mm-hmm. And you go look and you start researching on those companies and you you bet that he, that guy knows what he's talking about because he's in different rooms than we are. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So I guess in terms of just like going forward, what are you seeing for the music video industry? Do you see it staying kind of what it is or is there any evolutionary stuff that you see happening there as this well? This is a clip you might want to put on Instagram. Yeah. So I just met with the CEO of a record label, a major record label. And he said he's cutting 60% of the music video budgets to do short form content. So that's all I'll say. Be mm-hmm. prepared. The music video industry, it's going down. Yeah. And I do music videos for a living. But I diver- diversified my portfolio knowing that this was going to happen a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And now it's happening. And what do you mean by short form content? Like TikTok. Yeah. They'd rather have 27 pieces of content on short form than one large video. That's just what is happening right now. And this is how the industry is talking. I personally don't love that because I came from this world. You get me? But the world is changing and businesses are going to do what's best for the business. You get me? So 
um, hopefully you can find those artists that still want to spend. Like me yeah. and Russ were just talking about it yesterday, and we we're like, yo, we want to do a music video that's great. You get me? We don't care what the budget is. We just want to make it right. But a lot of artists don't have that flexibility because they don't even own their own music. You mm -hmm. know, so it's just like, like, why are you gonna spend five hundred thousand dollars on a video if your song is not gonna recoup that? You yeah. Know? Do you have examples of what that short form content looks like? Obviously, is it still a music video? What does it look like? Yeah, I think it's just more so like moments. You yeah. know what I mean? And I was with an artist yesterday, the one I was telling you about, mm -hmm. and she was telling me it's like it's all about moments, five, six second moments. You get me? Like the video's not about the storyline anymore, and it's just like okay, well, I understand your perspective, but I still gotta do what I love to do and tell the story yeah. as much as I need to tell the story. And you work and make it a collaborative effort, and then you can just take little clips. You get me? And then you can make memes out of them and things like that. And that's how people are looking at the filmmaking world right now right. i think when it comes to like artists and people behind the scenes in the office you know so it's kind of dope that like since i have partnerships with some of these people like you can kind of hear how they're talking but then also understand like where i'm at as a company mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting i guess it is diversifying the landscape you don't think about it as much but you see on youtube they have youtube shorts now i hear a lot of the youtube influencers and creators are like oh yeah even our larger youtube videos which might be five minutes aren't getting as many impressions or the engagement yeah. as a YouTube short that's 10 seconds. Yeah. But I just think you just got to worry about making yeah. good stuff, man, mm -hmm. and good stuff from the heart. I think at the end of the day, like, like you know, I went to the theater to see Creed 3. Like, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Like, if you want to see something, you're going to see it, you know? And you have to understand, you got to find that audience that, uh, you know, that you align with, and then hopefully, like, it's getting very direct to consumer nowadays. Mm -hmm. You get me? Same thing with this podcast. You go direct to the consumer who like this podcast and right. the stuff that you guys approach. Same thing with us. So it's just, like, you have to be doing that. And if you're not, then, you know, you'll yeah. be... You'll be yeah, I, well, you never know. Yeah. Maybe you know something I don't. I don't know. You know, teach me. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any art forms or other mediums that you're really interested in that you would love to try to like try or just participate in? Well, um, yeah, I think um, we're doing like a lot of branding content on the digital sword side. Yeah. Um, also on our production company side, where we're gonna we're working with a lot of brands. But I'm definitely excited. The just you know animation. You know, mm -hmm. just like not to say it's a medium, but it's just more so. I'm just excited to see like what we can do with that. Yeah. You got me? And we're developing that side of our post-production side now. Yeah. So we have like some in-house animation artists that like are super incredible. And I think they're going to, you know, make ways within the mainstream media. Yeah, I think so too. Animation is such a strong tool in the mm. way how photorealistic things are becoming. Yeah. I was actually talking to a game developer the other day and they was talking about, you know, game production, yeah. how much that's been advancing. And he mentioned, so like The Last of Us is a great example. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've seen the show or played the game, but they're two separate products yeah. and they don't want that. While it's, one has been extremely successful, they know that there's a market that is never going to play the game, but yeah. how can you make one in the same? And they talked about how now a game companies see what films tv series have been doing and been doing so well but they're going to create their game experience as a passive experience with yeah. the same technology so you can deliver it as interactive or passive and yeah. i find that to be so fascinating considering just where like film is today yeah and with that point i think what everyone should be focused is on ip mm -hmm. you know intellectual property make sure you're focusing on the ip and either owning a part of it or all of it you get me whether it's your own or somebody else's that's why you see like scooter bronze buying all the catalogs of music like ip is a big thing right now mm -hmm. and i've been able to invest in a lot of ips that i want to develop 
it might not be now, but mm -hmm. later on life, you know, and making sure you got that right paperwork, you know, talk to your lawyer, ask for guidance if you don't know how to do it. But IP is a really big thing. IP helped me with this movie that I'm doing now. You get me? I have yeah. the IP and that's where it all started. Yeah, and you always hear that a lot, like Kubrick and all of them saying what, how he would invest is buying the rights to books. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Things just like sitting that. on it yeah. until the time comes. But being able to happen, I mean, there's money to be made in that whole industry, but being able to have the leverage when the time does come yeah. to develop it into whatever you want and you don't have to worry about buying it from someone else exactly. or working with a studio or whatever it is. Yeah, and invest in things like the same way I did artists early and you invest in early and then you know you have some type of ownership to it and it becomes lucrative later. Like, and you just plant these seeds and then one day you'll look back up and everything will be a forest. You get me? Mm -hmm. So that's how you have to look at life. You know? Yeah. So do you have any recent projects or upcoming projects you really want people to check out that you've been working on? Oh man, what's my most recent project? I haven't, actually, I haven't been directing as much this year, but, um, I have two videos that I can't say their names because they're not out yet, yeah. but like, they're so different from each other. One's this like psychedelic trippy, like, let's just say the Dana Paul video on steroids. Mm -hmm. And then you have this other video, which is like, I remade 2001 Space Odyssey, but with women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when do those plan on dropping? Do you have a timeline so people um, can keep an eye out? Yeah, I think on Friday, um, the 2001 Space Odyssey one drops, I believe. If not, it'll be next week if I don't hit this deadline because I'm going to a color session right after this. Yeah. Shout out to Matt. I was born at Club 83. I'll see you soon. Um, and the other one, it's going to drop when the artist's album drop. But I'm just very excited because... They're so cool. Right. And I think as a director, you also want to try different ways of directing too. Mm -hmm. Like you don't want, like, I feel like sometimes you can't really tell from my last job to the, the one I have now. Some will be a little bit more clean. Some will be a little bit more, you know, experimental. Some will be shot on film. Some will be shot on digital. Some will have more about story. Some won't. Yeah. I mean, I think just having that diver like that diversity in your work and that being versatile is a compliment that I get a lot. Yeah. I would say I was spending a lot of time watching all mm -hmm. of your different stuff on blank square. And that's what I did love the most is yeah. you get that really grungy aesthetic with uh, like Paola music video. Yeah. And then Corday has a nice like fashion forward aesthetic yeah. that I really love with his music videos. But then you have that world cup one, which is a lot more commercially viable, yeah, 100%. you know, and it's being able to understand that, it's good to diversify that way while you want to have an aesthetic. And you can tell what your aesthetic is, yeah. but I do think it's really smart. A director should never inherently know what it is. Yeah. It's something that the audience should be able to pick up. Especially if you have your own production company as yeah. a director. Like that FIFA World Cup video, like the biggest video of last year. You get mm -hmm. me? Like, I might not even have to drop another video. Like, <laughs> that video does like 10 million a week. It's just like, and I get hit up so much about that video and it just broadens your horizon. You get me? Other international artists start reaching out to us. Also, I encourage directors to work in different, you know, places. You get me? Go to Africa, go to Asia, go mm -hmm. to Spain, you know, go to South America, go shoot videos in other places because the peer spaces that you guys are using is just getting a little bit redundant, you know? Right. And I hate when I'm here in LA and I'm like, damn, I can't even shoot there. Everyone shot there. You get me? And you know, just try to like explore. It'll be worth it. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see the way that culture used to be segmented by country or by geographical like area. That's not happening. Look at what K-pop is doing. Yeah. K-pop's completely crossed the border. I mean, I went to a K-pop concert and <laughs> every type of like ethnicity background was there. It wasn't yeah. just Koreans. There. Yeah, everything is becoming more blended. Yeah. And like, I just did a video for a Nigerian artist named Mashake and he was basically like, like, you don't even know what this video is about to do. And I'm like, I have no idea. And next thing you know, the video drops. I, I gained like 4,000 followers 
just from people who just like, wow, I saw that video. And it's just like, damn, mm-hmm. I got, you know, maybe I'm not familiar with something, but be open to it. Yeah. And don't think that your ego is de- like, don't think like America is like the only place that's, you know, killing stuff because oh, yeah. they're not, you know? Yeah. Look at the yeah. foreign film scene. I would say that they yeah. knock us out of the park nine times yeah. out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, some yeah. of these other countries, whether it be Poland, South Korea, yeah. honestly, a lot of these like South Africa, yeah. these countries that you might not suspect are making some of the most nuanced yeah. films that's, that that's I've where, ever seen. That's where all the commercials get shot anyways, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, you know, like South Africa, yeah. you know, South America, Mexico, like, you know, production is a lot cheaper over there as well. Mm-hmm. So as a business standpoint, you know, like I've been doing a lot more productions over there as well. Yeah. And I think it's really great to just get outside of your element. What I love right now, and we're seeing this with music videos specifically and filmmaking, is we're adopting each other's culture in a way where we're trying to understand it. And it's yeah. not so separated. And we're being, it's like back in the day, I loved when culture was kind of the like monetary like element to yeah. it. You traded it, you understood it and you celebrated it. Yeah. And I think that's really important as we continue to make content for an international landscape yeah. that we're able to respect each other, but also be a part of each other's culture without judgment. Yeah. And underst- like you said, go live out there, mm-hmm. go live a little bit, you know, go catch your own experiences. But at the end of the day, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. It's your life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I love that approach. You're very laid back and you're very open to stuff. Mm-hmm. For people to keep up with you, I know you're on Instagram. What's your Instagram and what are the best avenues to like stay in touch or just reach out? Yeah, my Instagram is Edgar Aceves. Um, Company is Blank Square Productions with an S at the end. Um, yeah, man. Just, you know, Google mm-hmm. name, Google search us and you'll find us so we appreciate you and the time for us yeah, to be here absolutely well edgar what is some final advice i know we have a lot of people watching and this is the time if you have any questions for edgar about his projects just mm. methodologies let's start to get those in but let's just wrap it up with what you think you know what your final advice to anyone that's looking at where you are today yeah um the final advice would basically be like the good old cliche fight for your dreams mm-hmm. you get me nobody nobody ever is gonna do as much as you can for yourself as you can for yourself. So just make sure you're like fighting for your dreams every time. When you want that extra setup, fight for it. You know, like, and at the end of the day, put everything into the work, especially early in your career. You got me? And always give it your all and be creative and, and find a way of, you know, figuring out problems and, and finding solutions to them and not making mm-hmm. excuses. Um, yeah, just give it your all and fight for your dream because nobody can, like I, like I said, can do what you can do for yourself. Um, like you can. So just make sure you fight for your dreams. Every time there's artists that be like, nah, we don't want to spend that on the video. I'm like, well, I'm going to say no. I can't do this. You got me? And shout out to Anthony Mandler. He taught me that. He's like, you're going to have to say no to sometimes. Because, you know, especially when you lack opportunity growing up, you're like, damn, like when you get those opportunities, you don't want to say no to them. You're like, you just want to keep working, working, working. But he's like, yo, you got to make sure you're doing things that are beneficial to you too. And people are going to, it's going to come back in tenfolds. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, Learn how to say no to the jobs. And I'm like, look, I'm not directing this video for 150K. That just happened on a project. They're like, yo, the brief was 150,000. I wrote a concept, ended up turning out to be 570,000. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. The artists love it. I love it. And I don't want to conform. Mm-hmm. If not, then you go tell the artist that we ain't, we're not going to do this. All right, let's find some brands and this or like that. And you don't want to be disrespectful, but you have to like basically say, look, at this point in my career where I'm at, like, I want to make things that are epic. I can't just drop videos and go back to doing, you know, $500 videos. Like, you get me? Like, 
you know, it's funny because I just shot a music video two weeks ago for this kid named Nate, Tra Nate the Traveler for free, just to kind of like sharpen my skills and just see like, what can I do if I have no money? You mm -hmm. get me? So I still do that. So that's a rare case, but I feel like a lot of people don't. But um, yeah, definitely yeah. just fight for your dreams and don't let anybody ever tell you nothing, you know, and just keep going. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. And yeah. what I learned and what you really helped open my eyes to is just the entrepreneurial aspect of this, you know, whole career. Don't just be a director. Always try to diversify yeah. your portfolio. Consider what other people are doing. Stay up to date with the trends, even though you might want what you might not adopt them all the time. It's really good to understand the new platforms that are emerging, the way content's being yeah. delivered. You talking about music videos being cut down now into moments. That's something that a lot of people need to probably start looking into. Yeah. How does that affect you? What could potentially be? your revenue might get depleted be depleted in the next year or so who knows but always just being entrepreneurial understanding that relationships respect are important and learn to collaborate i always think that is the reoccurring guest anybody that's successful yeah. that comes on here they knew yeah, they don't learned be a early, dick. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they learned early on be collaborative yeah understand those that are above you but also those that are below you because tomorrow those that are below you could be your boss you know Bro, that's happened by the way that's happened so many times to me people who've Hey, uh, can we get one more hour over time? Can you charge a label? No, we can't charge them, but we can take it out of your rate or like, or skimming me on money because I didn't have my documents at the time mm -hmm. and things like that. Or people paying me 500 bucks a week to do seven, 10 minute episodes for them every day. Like, you know, killing my mental health. Like those people, I wish them the best, but they're no even longer in the industry. Yeah. You get what I mean? And you see people fall and yeah. they fall hard. You know, and you don't want to take advantage of that, especially when you have those opportunities and relationships are everything in this business. Right. It's about who you know as well. Not just about what you know. So just make sure you develop good relationships with good people and like, you know, pull up to someone's birthday party. Get mm -hmm. them a gift. You get me like ask people if they want to go bowling. Sometimes people are so nervous and be like, no, I don't want to ask anybody. But it's like even the people that work in probably in this office, some people might not hang out as much as others. You get me? It's like invite them. You get me? Go out your way to do that, especially if you're working with those people and building with those people. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's like we're all we got. So, you know, I think that's a very big strategy. Like if I go to the pool, I'll call my whole team. Anybody want to come to the pool? Yeah, I'm gonna be at the pool today. Nobody yeah. want to come? Okay. You know, I'll let it be. You guys want to get dinner? Nope. Okay. Like, I'm going to go spend right now after the company three. I'm going to go chill with my best friend. We're going to have dinner. And we're going to talk about life, you know? Mm -hmm. Sadly, we just had a friend just passed away from growing up in the neighborhood. And we're going to talk about that. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, you okay? You know, you were closer to him than I was. And, you know, it's just, let's just talk. And yeah. I want to be there for you. And not be so rushed on everything. Because when you're working, you're like, I got to work. I got to work. And it's like, yo, you know, it's like, that's how that happens. You got to like, chill, yeah. bro. Yeah. <laughs> what are some other advice? I think that's another good point here is just to talk about your, your lifestyle and wellness and just staying up on top of your health. It seems like you're really mm -hmm. good at, you know, fostering those relationships, but you're obviously a very busy person. Yeah. How do you manage your life and stay on top of that? Bro, balance, man. And there's so many times where like I could get ahead. You get me? And like, I, I know I could go further than I could. I am right now, but you just take it easy, you know, and you build out the infrastructure and you build people around you that, you know, really care about you and want to see you succeed as much as you want to see them succeed. And I think that's very important. Like a John Primo example, like you get me? Like if I don't have time to write a treatment, he'll write a treatment for me. You know what I'm saying? And like that type and like, and if he ever needed that, I would do the same thing for him. And just have that trust and bond within your team is the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. Like my producers, they'll go out their way. They'll be at pre-builds. They'll do everything. They'll send me photos if I can't make it because I have a busy schedule. And it's like, damn, you appreciate those people. And then make sure when that when that check comes, you know, 
cut the check, you know, evenly and or, you know, and make sure everyone's fair and like, all right, cool. I'm the director. Don't let ego get in the way. Like I always say, every time I talk to my team, I'm like, yo, friends first. Yo, but you got to get that thing in. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then I'll start being strict on them. Yeah. You get me? And I'm like, look, I just want to let you know that I just want the best for everybody. You get me? And I think this is how we got to go about it. What is, what's your thoughts? Oh, well, we can do it this way. Wow, I never thought about it that way. Actually, let's do it your way. Oh, actually, you know what? My way is actually a little bit better, I think. And I think, oh, look, the results have been achieved. And it's all about the end result, you know? And you need a team that can play the roles of any position that you needed to at any time. You know? Yeah. That's really great advice. Yeah. Well, let's see if any questions have come over. Dave, we'll turn it to you. But we really appreciate your time, Edgar. Yes. This has been super insightful, and I love your enthusiasm. I'm ready, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to kill today. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no questions yet. I think we got to let the stream catch up a little bit. But now, for those who are watching, this is a chance to get your questions in. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> have you watched anything really good recently that's really like caught your eye? Yeah, I just finished Beef. It was fun. Yeah. What is Beef about? Um, beef is literally about your anger management issues and realizing that it's not that deep. Yeah. You know I mean, that's basically what I caught from it. It's just like, and like one little moment can really affect your life. So mm -hmm. just be mindful, you know, yeah. don't flick someone off. Mm. Yeah. That's a really great example too, of that arena, like, um, just the Korean population really just having an influence and seeing that in the American market. People love it. It's great. Yeah. I think it's like, you know. There's so many stories to be told, you get me, from yeah. all walks of life. So, like, let's go out there and let's go tell them. You yeah. Know? And let's not be so scared to go. Like, I'm going to Africa, you get me? And, like, everyone's like, yo, be scared. I'm like, yo, like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to take the experience as it comes. Oh, and yeah. There's, there'll definitely be some hiccups, but there'll definitely be some great moments. And I'm going to live in a village with them and I'm going to spend the time with them. And let's have some fun. Yeah. You get me? And, like, not think too deep. You get me? Yeah. I don't like, you know, it's just like, I don't know what to expect. You know, like I said, to start trading uh, expectation for appreciation and just be like, damn, I couldn't even travel three years ago and now I can. So right. I'm just looking at it like, I got stamps on my passport. I'm happy. You know? <laughs> yeah, go. Well, I've been to Africa. Yeah. I've been to Mozambique and I went to South Africa yeah. and that was probably some of the best time I've spent anywhere. I was there for two weeks and where you were at Cape Town. Uh, I didn't end up going down to Cape okay. Town. I was just northern, just north of Johannesburg. Okay. We were where like Kruger National Park yeah. is. We spent a few days in South Africa, which amazing country. But then we also, um, I was in Mozambique for like two amazing. weeks living in yeah. the bush and doing a lot of medical outreach. And even to, to this day, you know, I've gotten to travel around quite a bit, mm -hmm. but I, there's nothing quite like being in Africa and being with those people and the amount of culture. And that's the hard part. We notice that a lot of what we can consume and media yeah. paints things a certain way but truthfully until you get there you really know what you never know what you're about to experience and how great it might be if you yeah. come into it open-minded and i even to this day i'm like dang i could see myself living for a few years in a place like mozambique or a culture like south africa yeah and it was just really eye-opening so i'm excited to hear when you're back next yeah what it was like for yeah you it'll there. be my first time in africa yeah. yeah and sometimes like with la man there's a lot of concrete here you know yeah and just, you know, going to South America for the first time a few years ago and just being like ever since I was a year old and the first time I went when I was 28 and I was just being like, damn, like the world is such a big place. And, you know, you want to explore and you just want to, mm -hmm. you know, go out there like Phil Knight said in Nike after he graduated high school. He's like the first thing he did was travel around the world. Yeah. And it was such a beautiful experience for him. to, And then that basically created the global brand. It's like, how are you going to create a global brand if you've never even been to the countries right. around the world? You know, it's like, this doesn't make sense to me. So as soon as I got my papers, I was like, I'm going to Paris. I've been to London. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Colombia. I'm going to all these different places. And now I'm going to go to Africa. 
and I'm going to tell a story out there, and I'm excited. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It looks like we have a question. Dave, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, we got our first question coming in. Uh, asks, how do you balance life with a significant other, that work-life balance? Yeah, I'm single. That's why. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, but it's hard. You know, like, life is hard. Like, I'll tell you guys a personal story that I haven't even shared with anybody right now. But, you know, why not? Why would I hide anything from anybody? But, like, last year, like, I found this girl that I really, really liked. And on our birthday, we are in Mexico. And then a few months later, I realized she was pregnant. You know? And I'm like, wow, I'm about to have a family. This is exciting. I really like this girl. Everything comes in the way. And the next thing you know, she has a miscarriage. You get me earlier this year. And I was like, damn, like I was so excited. I told my parents I was very like just adamant about life. And I was just like, let's go, let's do this. And then next thing you know, it just crashes. And my dad gave me the best advice is don't worry so much, son. You get me? And don't overthink because if you look back, you're going to end up crashing. You get me? And then that's what I kind of take from that. It's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, like at the end of the day, we tried our best and, you know, you want to make sure like you're okay. And, you know, and I also come from very traumatic experiences and stuff like that. And I'm still healing myself and having that self-awareness. And like I said, transparency, having those communications with your partner or the people around you to let them know, Hey, this is where I come from. Like, I know you may not know, but like, I want to explain why I'm this way. Like Mm -hmm. I texted my team yesterday. I could show you on my text. I was like, look guys, yesterday I had a really, really rough day. It was very long and I'm trying my best. But if you guys could just finish off the stuff, I'm gonna make all the VFX notes for the video. But I just want to communicate to you. After eight o'clock, I'm gonna go down. I'm, I went to the girl and the goat, got me a glass of wine, ate a steak, went home, slept in by ten thirty. You know, woke up at eight in the morning, got ready, and I came over here. And just communicating too, and make sure you communicate with the people you love because they might not have no idea what you're going through, especially if they're not in the industry. You know. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Communication is one of the most integral parts of any relationship, whether it be romantic, you know, whether it's your parents, not people can only assume when you're upset or not going through something and they might put it on themselves. And that's the last thing that you want to have happen. Even from past, you know, experiences, I was in relationships with someone in a relationship with someone who wasn't in the film industry. And you can definitely see that disconnect. And if you are in that scenario, it's good to just be communicative, make them understand because the lifestyle of a film maker and entrepreneur isn't quite the same if someone that's working a nine yeah, to five hundred you know? percent yeah they have to understand like this is the life you signed up for especially if it's your passion mm-hmm. and you wake up every morning excited from it you know it's like and you just have to make the right decisions and you know and that's why you have to make sure you're picking the right partner to understand that life that you want you know and the life that they want as well because that matters too as well like you have to be on the same page so mm-hmm. that was really yeah. good advice one more question no we got all day come uh, on now we're not leaving. Talking <laughs> about the director DP relationship, some more mm-hmm. relationships, but a little more work related. The question is, what is your process of working with a new DP in regards to framing, composition, and lighting? Uh, how do you trust them uh, right off the bat, or is it do you micromanage a little bit, or is it in between, or how do you find that language with the people you work with? Yeah, I actually just worked with Ben Carey on the last video that I just did. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with his work, and I've been hitting up Ben for like two years. Like, yo, Ben. I love your work. Like, let's go. And he's like, I, lo- I appreciate it, man. And then like, just building that relationship on, especially with social media, like reach out to your favorite DPs and plant seeds. You get me? And then two years later, now I was able to hire him and I had the perfect project and it worked and it aligned. And I'm very excited to work with him. And I think like also just like when you're working with a DP for the first time, it's just making sure like you're open to things too, because you know, like they are in charge of the look. Of your, you know, and you can have your notes as much as you want, but at the end of the day, you know, you can't do everything on set, right? Like, 
You can't be acting, playing this thing, running around, doing this, producing, worrying about receipts and shooting the video at the same time. It's like you're going to just going to be a shell of yourself. So, you know, focus in your position, you know, communicate always with respect and, you know, try to and always have a Zoom call before you hire any DP. So if I'm ever working at an agency and I'm like, yo, I reach out to your agent and then I get in contact with you. I'm like, look, you got the job, but let's just have a Zoom call and I'll talk to you for like 10 minutes. And in 10 minutes, I can know if we're going to hit it off or not, or you're going to scream at me or something. Mm -hmm. You're like, I don't want to do that. That's not the way I work. Um, And at the end of the day, if I'm the director, I have my choice of what DP I want to choose. So, Yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah. Like, yo, man, if this hits the fan, like, you know, like, yeah, like, I'm not saying, like, don't get paid on overtime, but, yo, can you not kill me on overtime? Because I don't know. This artist, they might come late. So are you going to give up on me? Or, like, I just had crew... Like the artist was so late that like they walked off. You get me? And like if I had my crew there, they would have never done that. But at the end of the day, I understand both perspectives of why they walked off. Maybe they felt a little disrespected because the artist wasn't caring about their time. So as a director, you're kind of putting this and especially being the executive producer as well. You're caught up in this double sword where like on the creative side, I'm like, I want to make sure you can do your job. But on the executive side, I want to make sure you're, you're okay as a human. Mm-hmm. You get I me? Mean? And it's like you have to balance all these egos. So then after that, I talked to him. Everything was good. My producer made sure everyone was happy. And then, yeah, we're sending him a bottle of whiskey. You know what I'm saying? And be like, I appreciate you guys. And I, I'm sorry that you guys felt disrespected on set. But it was out of our control, and we tried our best. And we always remained calm. And everyone saw that around us, and they really appreciated that. Yeah, it's really good. Dan? Cool. We got one more follow-up question. Um Coming from Tyrone. Tyrone asks, "What's up, Tyrone? Uh, if a DP has a portfolio of great work showcasing uh, their lighting ability and composition, etc., uh, but doesn't have a lot of you know music video experience, uh, how can they get considered by a music video director?" Yeah, it's like you got to take that. It's like anything. Like, how'd you get the first film? You took a leap of faith, didn't you? Right. So, like, just take the leap of faith again into the music video world and go do a passion project. Maybe you know like wave your fee and then like a director's like all right cool like i'll give you a chance to do this music video and then next you know the music video is great and now you have that for your portfolio to like showcase what you can actually do you get me Mm -hmm. because music videos and films are two different like as much as similar they are they're not as at all like you know there's some great narrative storytellers and there's some great like you know performance Mm -hmm. edgy cutting edge commercial directors uh commercial director of photography and music video director for photography dps yeah that's really great advice awesome well if there's no other questions edgar this was an amazing interview an amazing time here at filmmakers academy please everyone make sure to give him a follow on instagram stay up to date with his career go check out his website at blank square productions he also has a personal website you can see all of the amazing content that they do plus all of the directors if you ever need anything that edgar can help with this guy's ready to throw in and be there he's an amazing entrepreneur now an amazing friend of filmmakers academy we really appreciate your time and we can't wait to hear what's going on with your feature how that's going to come together and we hope to have you back in this chair being able to talk about it when it releases i appreciate it and also thank you to filmmakers academy because we were supposed to do this at 1 30 and we ended up doing earlier because i got like life just hit me with some like last minute curveball so thank you guys for being understanding and respecting me that means a lot to me and i appreciate it a lot to all your crew um thank you for having me here i hope you guys have a beautiful day and a beautiful life let's get it awesome thanks so much catch everyone next time peace hi i'm shane hurlbut and i'm an asc cinematographer 
And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps, most notably the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for All Access members, and from content to community and coaching opportunities, everything you need to master your craft. So download the app, and this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.